Book One, Chapter Five of Les Miserables, translated by Isabel F. Hapgood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melissa. Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, Book One, A Just Man, Chapter Five. Monsieur Bienvenu made his cassocks last too long. The private life of Monsieur Mariel was filled with the same thoughts as his public life. The voluntary poverty in which the Bishop of Denia lived would have been a solemn and charming sight for any one who could have viewed it close at hand. Like all old men, and like the majority of thinkers, he slept little. This brief slumber was profound. In the morning he meditated for an hour. Then he said his mass, either at the cathedral or in his own house. His mass said, he broke his fast on rye bread dipped in the milk of his own cows. Then he set to work. A bishop is a very busy man. He must every day receive the secretary of the bishopric, who is generally a canon, and nearly every day his vicar's general. He has congregations to reprove, privileges to grant, a whole ecclesiastical library to examine, prayer books, diocesan catechisms, book of hours, etc., charges to write, sermons to authorize, curés and mares to reconcile, a clerical correspondence, an administrative correspondence, on one side the state, on the other the holy see, and a thousand matters of business. What time was left to him after these thousand details of business and his offices and his breviary, he bestowed first on the necessitous, the sick, and the afflicted, the time which was left to him from the afflicted, the sick, and the necessitous, he devoted to work. Sometimes he dug in his garden. Again he read or wrote. He had but one word for both these kinds of toil. He called them gardening. The mind is a garden, he said. Towards midday, when the weather was fine, he went forth and took a stroll in the country or in town, often entering lowly dwellings. He was seen walking alone, buried in his own thoughts, his eyes cast down, supporting himself on his long cane, clad in his wadded purple garment of silk, which was very warm, wearing purple stockings inside his coarse shoes, and surmounted by a flat hat which allowed three golden tassels of large bullion to drop from its three points. It was a perfect festival wherever he appeared. One would have said that his presence had something warming and luminous about it. The children and the old people came out to the doorsteps for the bishop as for the son. He bestowed his blessing, and they blessed him. They pointed out his house to anyone who was in need of anything. Here and there he halted, accosted the little boys and girls, and smiled upon the mothers. He visited the poor so long as he had any money. When he no longer had any, he visited the rich. As he made his cassocks last a long while, and did not wish to have it noticed, he never went out in the town without his wadded purple cloak. This inconvenienced him somewhat in summer. On his return he dined. The dinner resembled his breakfast. At half-past eight in the evening he supped with his sister, Madame Magliore standing behind them and serving them at table. Nothing could be more frugal than this repast. If, however, the bishop had one of his curés to supper, Madame Magliore took advantage of the opportunity to serve Monseigneur with some excellent fish from the lake or with some fine game from the mountains. Every curé furnished the pretext for a good meal. The bishop did not interfere. With that exception, his ordinary diet consisted only of vegetables boiled in water and oil soup. Thus it was said in the town, 
when the bishop does not indulge in the cheer of a curé, he indulges in the cheer of a trappist. After supper he conversed for half an hour with Mademoiselle Baptistine and Madame Magliori, then he retired to his own room and set to writing, sometimes on loose sheets and again on the margin of some folio. He was a man of letters and rather learned. He left behind him five or six very curious manuscripts, among them a dissertation on this verse in Genesis. In the beginning the Spirit of God floated upon the waters. With this verse he compares three texts, the Arabic verse which says, The winds of God blew, Flavius Josephus who says, A wind from above was precipitated upon the earth, and finally the Chaldaic paraphrase of Vonkelos, which renders it, A wind coming from God blew upon the face of the waters. In another dissertation he examines the theological works of Hugo, Bishop of Ptolemy, great-grand-uncle to the writer of this book, and establishes the fact that to this bishop must be attributed the diverse little works published during the last century under the pseudonym of Barleycourt. Sometimes, in the midst of his reading, no matter what the book might be which he had in his hand, he would suddenly fall into a profound meditation whence he only emerged to write a few lines on the pages of the volume itself. These lines have often no connection whatever with the book which contains them. We now have under our eyes a note written by him on the margin of a quarto, entitled Correspondence of Lord Germain with Generals Clinton, Cornwallis, and the Admirals of the American Station, Versailles, Poinco Bookseller, and Paris, Pissot Bookseller, Cai de Augustin. Here is the note. Oh, you who are! Ecclesiastes calls you the all-powerful, the Maccabees call you the creator, the epistles to the Ephesians calls you liberty, Baruch calls you immensity, the Psalms call you wisdom and truth, John calls you light, the book of Kings call you Lord, Exodus calls you providence, Leviticus sanctity, Estrus justice, the creation calls you God, man calls you father, but Solomon calls you compassion and that is the most beautiful of all your names. Toward nine o'clock in the evening the two women retired and betook themselves to their chambers on the first floor, leaving him alone until morning on the ground floor. It is necessary that we should, in this place, give an exact idea of the dwelling of the Bishop of Denia. End of Book One, Chapter Five, Recording by Melissa.